Welcome to episode 248 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Falling down for you. There's nothing in this world I wouldn't do. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. So I know that we normally subscribe to the regular principle of podcasting, which we don't deviate from. There are special rules, but... It's true. Today is special. This is a special episode. Why is that? So every once in a while, you know, the regulative principle, God just does something different. And you have to react to what God does. And uh, the regular principle podcasting would tell you we usually start with affirmations and denials. But as many of you know, Jesse and I are vacationing this week. And uh, it just so happened that we had some other podcasters from an organization called 1517 that were involved in the same place we were vacationing. So we have today uh, Eric Sorensen and Chad Bird from 1517.org. And we'll we'll let them introduce themselves in a few minutes here. But 1517.org is a collection of blog posts, articles, their publishing arm. Uh, they do lots of different stuff. They've got some really cool stuff uh, going on that I'm sure we'll talk about as we go. But I wanted to make sure we said it at least once before because we tend to forget things if we don't say it. Go check out 1517.org, uh, especially the stuff by Eric and Chad. Uh, you will definitely be blessed by it. So we're grateful these brothers have joined us. We basically kidnapped them. We did. We're sitting on a porch <laughs> in New Jersey. It's like 100 degrees. It is indeed. We all look sweaty except for Chad, who looks yes. remarkably cool and collected. <laughs> yes. But yeah, because you, you guys have done so many epic things, you're involved in lots of stuff, we wanted to have you introduce yourselves in your own words. So Eric, I don't know if sure. you want to start us off. Tell us sure. a little about yourself. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try and give a, a brief bio. Um, born and raised in Southern California, basically lived there my whole life, um, married a girl named Missy in my 20s, and we have three boys uh, together, Jude, John, and Lincoln. I've been a pastor for 14 years in a very small Lutheran synod called the Church of the Lutheran Brethren. Uh, started off my pastoral ministry in California, eventually moved out to the East Coast, pastored a church in New York, planted a church in Manhattan, in New York in particular. Uh, and now am a part-time associate pastor at a church in New Jersey and uh, serve part-time with 1517, um, co-hosting a podcast called 30 Minutes in the New Testament and doing writing, um, working on the development team there. So that's my whole entire life in a nutshell. <laughs> so you're living the dream. I'm living the dream. <laughs> Best life right now. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Except for the 100 degree part. Yeah. 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 Speaking of 100 Degrees, I'm, yeah, I'm very, uh, I'm Chad Bird. I'm very familiar with 100 Degrees, being from <laughs> South Texas. My wife and I uh, live right outside of San Antonio in a little river city called New Braunfels. And, uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've got a background that's kind of all over the place. So I was, I was raised in Texas as a Southern Baptist. Uh, I joined the Lutheran Church when I was in my, my late teens. And uh, kind of went through what, what, in our circles, we call the system meaning that I went to four years of college at one of our church's schools, I went on to four years of seminary training, and then I served a small church in Oklahoma for a number of years, was called back to the seminary after about five years out to be a professor of Old Testament as well as Biblical Hebrew. Spent some time doing my graduate work at Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati. And then uh, through a number of very crazy scenarios, which uh, perhaps somebody can, can can read about in one of my books, <laughs> I won't go I won't go into the details uh, details now. But uh, so I went from the academy to uh, the seat of a, of a truck and ended up being a truck driver in the Texas oil fields for a number of years. 
And then I, I came into contact with with Daniel Emery Price, a friend of ours, and we we started a website called Christ Told Fast, doing some podcasting. We started a podcast called Forty Minutes in the in the Old Testament a number of years ago, and then eventually were kind of adopted into the family. Fifteen seventeen, and so mm -hmm. since January of twenty twenty, I've been what they call a scholar in residence. Uh, for fifteen seventeen, even though I'm not in residence, I live in Texas. But uh, <laughs> whatever title they want to give me is great. Everything is in residence after twenty twenty. Yeah. We all just turn on the Zoom, yeah, yeah. and we're all in residence. Yeah. People ask me what I do. I, I just tell them, well, I I just you write, write a book every day. I write about a whole book. I write about every day. I write about Jesus with an Old Testament accent, or I'll teach about Jesus with an Old Testament accent, or I'll podcast about Jesus yeah. with an Old Testament accent. That's just kind of that's what I do. I it's it for me it's a great gift um if any of the listeners know anything about my backstory there was a time when i never could have envisioned that i'd be sitting here doing this or speaking in front of people or writing books uh, but god is gracious and merciful and he he brought me out of that darkness into light again so it's a, for me it's a great privilege to be able to in any opportunity i'd have to talk about what the grace and mercy of christ are, are all about so Thank God for 1517 and the opportunity that I have to be able to be part of, part of that family. Amen. Cool. Well, we are going to give away a copy of uh, a book called Scandalous Stories, which is, quote, a sort of commentary on the parables, uh, which is written by um, Eric and uh, Daniel, who they referenced. And we're also going to give a copy away of Night Driving, uh, which is sort of Chad's spiritual uh, autobiography uh, that uh, he just referenced a little bit. So uh, we'll give you instructions on how you can win that in a future episode uh, since, as you know, we don't figure this stuff out until after we've already said we're going to do it. Uh, but we're going to give away those, so stay tuned for a way to, to win a copy of that. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, then you can read all about it. So without further ado, we'll get into our topic. So Jesse and I, you know, we saw that you were on the speaker list uh, and we kind of thought what would be a good thing for us to do to sort of trick these Lutheran guys into coming on our Reformed podcast. The very first non-Calvinist, actually, That's that right. we've ever had the on first, our podcast. first non-Calvinist. Yes. Right. Yeah, so and, and, and last. And last. And last. And last. And last. Yeah. Speaking of, never speaking happening of, uh, again. of night driving, I, yeah. you also had some experience driving a truck as well. I, think I did. I did. Is that also part of the requirement? It, it is not. <laughs> I mean, so, so you are noticing there's a couple requirements. Beards, which yeah. typically my beard is, is much longer like, like Chad's is right Wait now. till next week. It'll yeah, be as long as this. Give me a week. Uh, and, and yeah, but and strange enough, yes, I drove a truck for a couple of years before eventually going to seminary. So Chad and I also have that in common. Yes. Nice, yeah. nice. So what we thought would be interesting is, as as I kind of explained to you, you two earlier, we were kind of talking about this. The Reformed Brotherhood is a distinctly Reformed contribution to the world of podcasting, but mm -hmm. we're also very committed to the idea that the church is a lot bigger than just the Reformed Right on. Sure. And although, you know, cards on the table, we think that the Reformed tradition, especially in, in the Westminster Confession and the 1689 London Baptist Confession, is the most comprehensive, faithful representation of Scripture, we also recognize that other traditions within Protestantism especially, but maybe even within Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy, uh, which we're learning more and more how much their contribution can be valuable with all this Trinity dust up that's going on. Mm. We wanted to yeah. ask you to come on and sort of share with us things that you think would be helpful for our Reformed audience to hear kind of insights from the Lutheran tradition. So whether it's a, a correction or an observation or just something that you, you know, you think we would be good to keep in mind, 
Um, we just want to hear from you guys because, right. it, you know, I don't have a lot of interaction with Lutherans. Believe it or not, there's not a ton of good conservative Lutheran churches <laughs> in New Hampshire. Um, so, so I don't have a lot of interaction with Lutheran guys. Um, so it'd be interesting even for me just to hear kind of what your thoughts yeah. are and, and what directions and what insights and, and things we would we should hear from your tradition. Easy question. Yeah, yeah no big deal. Uh, <laughs> no. Well, I brought a very, very long list of things <laughs> to correct you guys over, uh, but I forgot it. So yeah. we'll have to go with something else. No, I, I appreciate I appreciate you saying that, Tony. And that's um, and I, I one of the things I love about having a confession is you know as you as you have mentioned you know you you look at the Westminster Statement of Faith you say, or the Confession of Faith and you say. We think this is the best explanation of what Scripture teaches about the various topics addressed here, and obviously we have the same we have the same kind of formulation for us as Lutherans. We uh, have what's known as the Book of Concord, and and uh, and one of the things I would say, I mean, acknowledging that there are different confessions with different teachings in there, I think um, on a whole lot of doctrinal issues, there's probably no two groups. In, within Protestantism that are going to have um, as much in common many in many cases yeah. than Lutheran and uh, Reformed, the Lutheran and Reformed traditions. Uh, there's going to be differences, obviously, that we've noted, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about some of that today, but but there's a lot in common. And so as, I, as I've shared with you before, Tony, when um, when I was trying to decide whether I was going to go to seminary, as I was a truck driver, I was primarily listening to Reformed teachers because there wasn't any Lutheran media, anything that I yeah. could get my hands on. I'm in a truck for 12 hours a day. Well, guess what? R.C. Sproul's got four billion tapes. <laughs> so, yes, tapes. I said yes, tapes. tapes. At least not eight track, but tapes. And I'm so I'm popping in R.C. Sproul tapes and I'm popping in all this sort of Reformed material. And I, I've said for years, I learned my theology not so much from my seminary this isn't a knock on my seminary but from driving in a truck for two years because mm -hmm. i just constantly uh bombarded with different uh theological traditions and things like this so much so i was so influenced by mike horton and rc Sproul and others that i actually went to westminster seminary in escondido met with mike horton he probably doesn't remember this <laughs> and and asked him i was at a lutheran church at the time but i was really seriously considered considering going into a more uh, reformed tradition and to his credit he had about an hour-long discussion with me helped me clarify some things uh, and eventually I did of course end up going the Lutheran route but but that's how much of an influence um, the reformed tradition has had on me and and still uh, you know there's a lot that I still appreciate that comes out of uh, the reformed tradition so so I, I just say that by way of sort of introduction you know about the spirit in which we're gathering here yeah. so yeah yeah and i would affirm that too i so i remember it was the mid 90s about 94 95 which dates me i'm 51 so <laughs> i was on a, what we called our vicarage which is basically an internship my third year seminary in denver colorado and i was involved in a men's bible study and one of the guys said hey you should listen to this radio program it's really cool a bunch of guys talking theology i was like yeah what's it called he's like it's called the white horse inn 
I was like, hmm, never heard of it. White Horse Inn. Okay, I'll check it out. First time I ever heard of Lutheran on any form of media. Ever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Rod Rosenblatt <laughs> yeah. was like, what? So, yeah. You got a Lutheran to go on here? And know. he's funny? He's crazy. Oh, this <laughs> is awesome. Yeah. Yes. So I was hooked. Every Sunday night, I was, I was tuning into the station in Denver that uh, that had the White Horse Inn. So I was introduced to, to Mike Horton. I was introduced to Rod Rosenblatt and whoever yeah. else was on, was on the show. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, to just to, to underscore what you said, I was amazed at how much agreement there was. Mm-hmm. You know, because of course, as a Lutheran, I just assume the reformer wrong about everything. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I mean, but really, part of part of my own educational background was was I came in from a Southern Baptist background, and so I was just you know 100% Lutheranism. So all I read were, were Lutheran materials, and and honestly, because I came from a Southern Baptist background, I didn't have a lot of exposure to kind of the, the big names in the Reformed tradition. Mm-hmm. And since, since I'm more from that into Lutheranism, you know, I'm reading Luther, I'm reading Melanchthon, I'm reading Walther, I'm reading all the people that are kind of names in our in our tradition. Yeah. But it was a great chance for me to be introduced to, to Horton and others. And yeah, I, I, I'm amazed constantly how much we have in agreement. And I, I understand there's areas of disagreement, but... Uh, more than anything else, I think it's important to, to stress, you know, we, we have this common confession regarding Christology and the Trinity and the Word of God mm-hmm. and the, the human condition and eschatology. There's, there's so much we have in agreement. You never want to sort of sweep the disagreements under the rug, but you certainly want to thank God for all the ways right in which we can say amen to someone who's from a Catholic or Orthodox or Reformed or Baptist or yeah. whatever tradition they're, they're coming from. And that, I mean, I think with... Speaking of fifteen seventeen in particular, um, that's why we typically at our conferences, you know, we have people from different traditions, reformed traditions, that will speak um, from our, you know, from the platform or from you know the pulpit or whatnot, wherever it's at. Um, even though you know the fifteen seventeen itself is sort of like it's a bit it's a bit like a Lutheran think tank, yeah. uh, and it certainly is uh, Lutheran in its distinctives and its emphasis. Nevertheless, because there is enough agreement on enough issues, I mean, there, law and gospel is not unique to right. Lutheranism. Yeah, that's a tradition within the Reformed world as well. To, uh, and I would say maybe in my experience more so with some parts of the Reformed tradition than others, but it's there. Yeah, um, and so there's that's a that's a deeper level of agreement that you wouldn't find in other probably other areas of Protestantism a right. lot of the time. Um, and so we can, because we have that commonality, we feel comfortable putting some guys on the stage that might disagree with us about the sacraments, but at the same time have a long gospel sort of hermeneutic as they approach the scriptures, or at least as they think about preaching the scriptures. Right. And we say, you do that, you're going to be just fine with us. Just yeah. stay, qu- stay quiet on baptism and the supper and you're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, you know, it's funny. I'm in a number of online Facebook groups and discussion groups and stuff. And one of the ones that I've most recently been in is kind of a, kind of a no holds barred aggressive debate group. Yeah, uh, there's not a lot of courtesy and kindness that happens in that group. But whatever. On social like, media, I are know, you kidding it's me? So strange. It's such a weird anomaly. Yes. But yeah. one of the things that happens is you know every every once in a while the new the new Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox guy who stumbles in there, yeah, will they'll kind of throw what they think is the silver bullet argument against Protestantism, <laughs> and they'll be like, well, your Bible says that if. You know, you lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will lead the church into all truth. But look at all these denominations, how yes, fragmented yes. they are. And I always kind of sit back and chuckle because it's like you've stepped into my trap. Yeah. Because when you look at the actual agreement in the Reformed tradition and the 
Lutheran tradition, the Baptist tradition, even extending to, to the Methodists and you know other other parts of Protestantism, the amount of agreement is remarkable. It's mm-hmm. it's right. probably maybe four or five percent of passages in the New Testament that there's any significant amount of disagreement yes. on what it means. Right. Everything else is shades of nuance. You know, Lutherans frame justification and the order of salvation a little differently. There's yes. a little bit of a difference, and that has implications. You know, we talk about the sacraments. Well, at the Marburg qual- you know, colloquy with uh, with Zwingli and Luther, there, you know, what was it, 15 points, and right. 14 of them they agreed on. And yes. there's one point they couldn't quite get to. Yes. And, and you know, who knows what would have happened if Calvin was there, because Calvin's even closer than Luther was, right. or than right. Zwingli right. was. Yeah. So yes. I, th- I think that's yeah. the perfect spirit for us to kind of start this conversation yeah. out, is that this is, you know, even though we're a Reformed group, we've got Reformed distinctives, those distinctives are such a small subset of the overall scope of yeah. theology as a whole mm-hmm. that we can sit across the table and, and honestly, like we could probably have hours long conversation unless we were trying to bring those differences to the front. Mm-hmm. We probably wouldn't run into them right. for quite a yeah. long time. You know, Eric yeah. preached in church on Sunday. Chad's been teaching uh, Old Testament every morning this week. And, and there's nothing that I ran into in any of those that I disagreed with. I did mm-hmm. see a little bit of theology, glory, theology, uh, the cross stuff coming out with your, mm. your Gideon stuff there. Yeah. Uh, and today yeah. you went a little heavy on the sacraments. But uh, as a... You picked it up. Right. You picked up on As a trained theologian... <laughs> see, he was being restrained. But as someone who has a seminary degree, who <laughs> yes, right, studied right, right, this stuff right. academically, yeah. thinks, in those categories. thinks in those categories, I can pick it up. Right. But I, I very much doubt anyone else in the, in the crowd. And my, my mother-in-law has, has a seminary degree. Right? Yeah. I doubt very much that she went, ah, that's a Lutheran thing. Taking the essence of God into you, that's a Lutheran thing. Yeah, that's right, There's right, no yeah, way that's that's that right, she... Yeah. Ca- we just kept up. looking at each other. Yeah, we yeah, were, yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah. We were Ooh, sharing like, a little funny. Right. Yeah. 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 But that's, yeah. I just say that to sort of bring us into this next conversation yeah. that we have so much in common. And in this world we're in right now where there's so much coming at the church, capital C church, we need to recognize that, yeah, we got our differences, but they're family differences. Mm-hmm. Right. They're differences exactly. within the family yeah. of God that's an intramural discussion. Yeah. And we have to draw distinctions. That's important. We shouldn't minimize these things. But they're, they're, su- they're on the order of, you know, my side of the room versus your side of the room. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're all in the same house. We're all sleeping in the same rooms. Yeah. It's not a matter of, of you know, kicking you out in the house or making you sleep in the garage or anything yeah. like that. So. I think that's become, I think that has certainly become more clear the more sort of, and I, I really don't like making these sacred secular right. distinctions, but to, to use the how common Lutheran vernacular, what was that? I said, how Lutheran. <laughs> yeah. But I, I to, to use the, you know, as the culture has gotten more secular, right. uh, quote unquote, there is, I think, a recognition like, hey, we, we got to stick together as much as we can. We can't afford to just be nipping at each other all the time and fighting each other mm-hmm. all the time because there's a we're not the big boys in town anymore. You know, right. Christendom is is fading away fast, and that's a that's a product of Christendom. That's right. a product of Christendom is to is for us to think that we can you know spend all our days you know nitpicking each other. Uh, but the the more that sort of Christianity is marginalized in at least the North American context. I think the more you're going to see people willing to try and do things like we're doing now. Yeah. I saw this very specifically when I was planting a church in Manhattan. You're very aware that, like, if I don't work with others, nothing is going to get done here. Yeah. Like, we're not going to be able to reach anyone. And so I was trained by Tim Keller for a year and a year beyond that with the organization that he founded, City to City. I had a cohort of 12 pastors 
I know this will shock you, but none of them were Lutheran church planters. <laughs> not a single one. Uh, there's not a whole lot of Lutheran church planters uh, in New York. But um, every every everybody else was from very different traditions, and it was just sort of a recognition, like, yeah. hey man, we got a lot we can do together. Right on. I, I you know, there's going to be things that we can't. I'll be happy to baptize your babies when you come to the truth. But in, in <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a, that sort of thing. So really, but we no, call Jesse and, here and, as and the we long can joke yeah. Baptist. Yeah. No, 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 I'm sure totally and we could, we could yeah. totally joke around, yeah. and we could totally right, you know make course. fun yeah. of each other's differences right. and stuff. And that was part of the fellowship that we right. had was being able to sort of. You know, take little shots. I mean, if we will have Jared Wilson speak at our conferences from time to time, who is who would identify, I think, as a Reformed yeah. Baptist yep. from the Southern Baptist tradition. When he comes, I, I'm amazed that he still comes because when Dan Price introduces him, time. he gets picked on constantly <laughs> as the lone Baptist in the room. And then, of course, Jared then gets up and then you know gives it right back to Dan or right back to us. Uh, you know. It's, that's it should be the spirit of right. our gathering together. We can acknowledge the difference. We can make fun of each other. Have but in the final analysis, as you said, we're we're still family. Well, in yeah. some way, if the family of God can't exist in that kind of environment where there is good-natured ribbing, where we can also celebrate yes. the differences, mm. but come around what is the unity of being in Jesus Christ. Yeah. If there's that single head, the head should supersede this kind of fun, lighthearted sense of pointing out how we're different. Right. Yeah. Because I think even as we talk here and joke about that. We're rejoicing in the fact that right. there is a little bit of diversity in the way in which we approach the scriptures, that we're all yeah. trying to follow closely sure. after the yeah. Lord Jesus Christ. So mm-hmm. I'll, let me undo all that then. All that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's, here's yeah let's want, talk about here's, the difference. No, 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 yeah. no. Actually, I didn't want to get there. What I wanted to ask, though, was I, I, maybe this is a bad metaphor. You guys, I think, are, are great with metaphors. But here's, here's the way that I think I see sometimes reformed people, but generally I'd say like evangelicalism treating Lutheranism. And that is, mm. it's kind of like your attic. You know it's up there, yeah. but you don't really know what's up there, <laughs> <laughs> and you don't really often go to explore it. Yeah, so yeah. once in a while, you'll be like, you'll pop your head up and be like, no, this is too much. Right? And, <laughs> and by the way, the Lutheran the Lutherans tend to be, and I and I say this as a critique. The Lutherans tend to be just fine being left alone. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. Good. We're kind like of attic kind of, people. Kind of proud, <laughs> kind yes. of proud of how we've decorated the attic. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And all the books that are lining the, the attic. And we're just fine not going down there. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I know we, uh, we know there are people downstairs, but yeah. we're just going to pretend like they're not there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> very, very this is far better than I ever envisioned when I started talking. So to, so to that end, what I wanted to ask was, you know, so much, this fits in with this. This idea of we tend to want to snipe after each other, want to highlight yeah. differences, want to have arguments, want to try to win debates. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, if we put that aside and we say, you, we always joke about how like whatever topic we're talking about, we say it's like this is the definitive episode. Yeah. So we <laughs> yeah, want this yeah. to be like this is the definitive Lutheran episode. And yeah. to that end, what I wanted to ask is, what do you think? Uh, Calvinists, Reformed tradition, evangelicals just get plain wrong yeah. about Lutherism. Like, oh, oh, that man. is just a maybe a mischaracterization Ooh. or is some kind of caricature, and so that actually breeds mm. maybe immediate disagreement when actually it's not even present at all. Yeah, I, I think one of the things, and this comes up um, in our circles as well, in Lutheran circles as well. So we're often defined by what we stand against. Yes, mm. uh, which it's a typical Lutheran trait, and I suppose it comes out of our out of our Genesis. You know, we're we're not we're not followers of the Pope. We're not we don't believe in this. We don't believe in that. You know, so much of our theology was antithetical in, in that sort of way. And, and it so. wasn't just a push against 
you know, Rome, but it was also eventually a polemic against the enthusiasts and yes. the Anabaptists. Yes. Yes. Right. So, I mean, there was the fights on all sides from the very beginning. Get you know. some. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, that, and that might partly explain kind of the culture that has evolved over the years to where we are kind of the Attic people, you mm -hmm. know? We, we fought all these wars, and so we kind of got this enclave in the attic, and, and here we yeah. are. Which then leads to often characters about who we are and, and yeah. what, what we believe. I'll just throw this out, and I don't know if this is the most common. This is the first thing that popped in my mind. It seemed like any time a Reformed person will ask me what Lutherans believe or ask me to explain what they believe, typically it has to do with the Lord's Supper. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So somebody will, I think, I think this happened to me twice, somebody will say, hey, we're going to be talking about various views of the Lord's Supper on, uh, on our podcast and just want to touch base with you. What's a good way to describe what you what you believe about the Lord's Supper. I had this exact conversation with Jordan Cooper. Okay, uh, we just yeah. we did a we did a series on on uh, the Lord's Supper. I, I don't mm -hmm. want to interrupt you, but I, you know we want to be respectful. We know that right. Lutherans don't love yeah. the term consubstantiation. So I emailed him. <laughs> I messaged him on Facebook. I said, "What what do you want me to call this thing? Like, yeah. what, what do you call?" It? He said, "We call it sacramental union." I was like, "Okay, like." That's not really like defined enough for yeah, it to yeah. distinguish. So yeah. that's hilarious that you say that. Yeah, inevitably <laughs> that's the word that'll come up. So like I know. Roman Catholics believe in transubstantiation, and I've I've been told they use the way it's yes. phrased. I've been told that Lutherans believe in consubstantiation. Yes, and I'll be like, well, first of all, I'm 51 years old. I've been a Lutheran since I was about 20. I have never once, never once heard a Lutheran teacher or pastor use the word consubstantiation to yeah. describe. It does. It just doesn't. So happen. I don't know where it originated. Maybe you guys do. It was, it but, was us. It was the Calvinists. But so <laughs> that's, what, that's what I kind of figured. Yeah, yeah. So it's not. It's not the way that we describe <laughs> what the Lord's Supper is. Yeah. So I mean, we'll go back to just you know the catechism. You know, it's it's the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Period. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what it is. So you know, we don't. One of the things, and maybe this is another distinctive. Uh, like, like I mentioned earlier, I don't know enough about the Reformed tradition to be able to say with, with, with any kind of definitiveness as to what, what you guys believe. But, you know, for us, we do leave some of the mystery there as to exactly what it is. We're not, we're not interested in, in providing, like, kind of a philosophical explanation for, you know, the essence and accident and all that kind of stuff. We just want to say, okay, Jesus said, this is my body, so it's his body. This is his blood, so it's his blood. And we're also eating bread and we're also drinking wine, so there must be bread and wine there too. So, yeah, it's his bread, it's bread and wine, and it's also his body and blood. And if Jesus said it, it's good enough for us, period. So yeah. we're, we're, not, we're not interested in the words and trying to kind of break down into very fine details exactly, well, when does it become his body? And, yes. you know, and does it stop being his body at a certain point? Yeah. And, you know, the old debates of what if a mouse gets in the sacristy right. and eats some of the wafers that have been consecrated? You know, what's happening there? We're just not interested. It's, he says it's his body. He says it's his blood. So, and we just take that at face value. So there is, we do attempt anyway to kind of just receive the words that are there, not try and demystify them. We're not trying to philosophize them too much. We're just trying to say, and I'm not saying let's what the reform do, but from sure. our perspective, when someone asks me what we believe, yeah. I just try and keep it real simple. Or we might say it's a real presence. Uh, sacramental union's yeah. fine, but mm -hmm. Jesus is is really there in His body and blood in a way which, yeah, that we can't fully grasp or understand. But that's what we confess. I think, yeah, I think you'll find within Lutheran theology, there's almost um, I don't know if I should use the word celebration of tension, uh, but 
but there certainly is an okayness with tension in all sorts of areas. And that's not entirely unique to Lutheran theology. Right. I mean, every Orthodox Christian believes in the dual natures of Christ, and that's try and figure that out, you know, with a math equation, good luck. You know, it's not going to happen. And yeah. we, so all of us, to some degree, accept a level of tension and, and inexplicability in our theology, that there's going to be parts of things that we can't quite grasp. It could be that Lutherans have been trained to do that maybe with more issues than, than other traditions. Yeah. That there's a, there's a comfort level with, with paradox or with tension. There's a comfort level with, I mean, you won't see, they do exist, but you won't see a whole lot of Lutheran philosophical breakdowns for why we believe what we do. Now, you can find it. I mean, if you, if you really want to understand how it is we can view the person of Christ the way we do, so that we can believe that Christ is really present in the sacrament. You can read uh, Chemnitz's work on the nature nature yeah, of right. Christ. That's sort of the seminal Lutheran work, and it's a massive tome, and it's you know very very scholarly. And, and talk all about the genus myostaticum. Yes, sure. so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a it's a real jolly good time. Yeah, uh, I've, you know I've read it, and, and uh, you know that if you want it, you can find it. But typically, right, Lutherans don't don't go delve too deeply into the philosophical implications what's so so important is trying to find for the lutheran the plain meaning of the text like right. what is the plain meaning of the text you know and this really this harkens back to luther himself you know luther is just it, you mentioned zwingli you know it's the famous him, you know, writing on the table. Yeah, I was going to say, Chad's going to whip out the table. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is my body, you know, it's just right. this plain meaning. And so that's kind of drummed into our heads. And I think we bring that into uh, our churches as pastors, you know, that, that we don't have to have a, a, an explanation for everything. We can leave the mystery if the Bible says it and we have the, we have good, a, a good preponderance of texts, not just a proof text, right. but a good preponderance right. of texts that support this, then we're just going to proclaim it. Yeah, yeah. That's actually one thing. I guess I'm gonna like steal your guys's thunder. That's actually one thing I would say the reform need to learn from the Agreed. Lutheran tradition a little more. Is we do have a tendency to want to, you know, tie up every loose end and make sure everything's mm -hmm. got a nice neat little bow on it. For those who who are listening that don't know, Chemnitz is kind of the Lutheran version of Turretin, Francis Turretin. Mm -hmm. yep. He he comes after after the sort of first generation of Lutheran reformers mm -hmm. into what, you know, in reform circles we kind of call the high orthodoxy or the scholastic orthodoxy phase. Mm -hmm. And so he's he's probably a little bit sooner than most of our guys are on mm -hmm. that. But he's writing in the same kind of milieu. He's starting to get back to some of those scholastic methods. Yes. But the Lutheran tradition never came back to those scholastic methods the same way that the reform tradition did. Mm. And so yeah, historically, that's, that, that's part of why there is this distinction and why the, the reformed are much more likely to use these philosophical scholastic categories mm -hmm. than the Lutherans is because of the way that historically developed. Yeah. But I think that reformed folk need to learn from our Lutheran brothers, it's okay to be in that tension a little bit. Mm. You know, we, we might want to push it a little further than, than you know, you guys are comfortable with mm -hmm. on certain things. But you're right. At the end of the day, when we get to that doctrine of the Trinity, we, we like to talk about you've got your mystery card. Yeah. And the key mm -hmm. is knowing right. when to play that card. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sometimes people play it too soon. Sure. I think I think just my own perspective. I think sometimes Lutherans tend to play that a little too soon. Oh, I get ribbed by out of caution. I think it's out of caution. The they don't. Yeah. You don't want to go further than the text does. <laughs> yes. Right. I think yeah. Reform folks tend to play it too late and end right. up going further than the right. Scripture does. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think that's a huge cor corrective or a. a 
I don't know, a, a friendly reminder, whatever we want to call it, from the Lutheran tradition. That, like, it's okay to be unsure. It's okay yeah. to it's okay to say the scripture seems to say two different things, and we we don't know how to make that go together. Yeah. But the scripture says both things, and so both things are true. Yeah. Well, I yeah. sense that what you guys have said. Somebody said comfort. I think that's a beautiful word. It it's not as if you're trying to eisegete or read into or over explain or under explain. It's just that God has said it. We want to trust him in that. And mm-hmm. when you yeah. lean into, it sounds like I think you're more, pro, you're, you have a better proclivity to lean into some of these things perhaps yeah. in some of the reform, but you're doing that because you're leaning on those everlasting arms. That yeah. God yeah. is worthy to be trusted in the mysteries that he has set forth. And yes. so where that line is, it's, it is a tension, but I wonder if it's not, as you guys described it, more just comfort in mystery. Because it's not a mystery yeah. like you read a novel and you're trying to figure out who killed somebody else. Yeah. And, and so there's this there's sense, well, there must be truth. I need to uncover yeah. what that truth is. And it's either binary or not. Yeah. What we're saying here is God has revealed what is most useful and instructive for us. Mm-hmm. And I would say we draw that line perhaps in different places. But I think we can all fall in places where if you get to go to either extreme, yeah. it's not only unhealthy, but it could put you in, in serious error. So yeah. sure. it's comfort, yeah. leaning into that comfort. Is that one of those things you feel is a distinctive? Sorry, having that comfort, leaning into that mystery, that... Is it kind of a, a Lutheran distinctive or feels like it's ingrained like in the essence of your being, if you say, what is like that kind of center space where it's like mm-hmm. the, the culture, the, the sensibilities of, of theology, like even at the highest level, not even yeah. talking about a particular issue? Well, I, I would say, I think because the gospel is so central and what we mean when we say gospel in Lutheran circles is the doctrine of justification by faith alone, on account of Christ alone, by grace alone. The whole, that that is so central to everything else. And that we believe is so, so fundamentally clear throughout all of the scriptures that because our focus is so much there, that then when some of the other issues around it are less clearly um, sorted out or easy to define, we're kind of okay with that because we've got as Luther called it, the sort of cornerstone of the faith, justification by faith, yeah. mm-hmm. this is it. Um, if we've got that, then then we can we can have a fairly high level of comfort with, as you're saying, the mystery. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't say there's any level of comfort within the Lutheran tradition about the doctrine of justification. Mm-hmm. We there's no level of mystery there for us. Right. We're we we believe this is taught very very clearly. And we herald it very, very clearly. And there's other things, of course, but that for that's so central to Lutheranism. Yeah, and it becomes a touchstone of everything. Yes. I mean that that becomes so. Any any time you're evaluating whatever the teaching might be, whether it's baptism, Lord's Supper, eschatology, uh, human depravity, whatever whatever it is, it's always related back to that. So yeah. I mean, it, it's the center around which which everything flows. Mm-hmm. So uh, I mean. I, I don't know about in reform circles, but certainly for us, I mean, that's what it all boils down to. Uh, the, the goal of a sermon is not simply to exegete a text, mm-hmm. but the goal of the sermon is to bring people to the gospel, to Christ, and to, to leave them there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, not to take them to Christ and then take them somewhere else. That's, that's the goal. And that's the goal, at least, at least ideally, nobody lives up to this, but ideally that's the goal in every pastoral care situation. Yeah. Right. It's a goal in every Sunday school class, every Bible class. It's all uh, bringing people to Christ and his justifying his justifying work for us and and I think the ramifications for that are huge because that does shape everything yeah it shapes how the pastors understand themselves it shapes how uh, they're going to be teaching the Sunday school teachers to teach it shapes 
the, the, the flow of their sermons, mm-hmm. you know? So it doesn't matter if they're preaching on some weird text in Leviticus about leprosy yeah. <laughs> or whether they're preaching uh, from one of the Psalms or preaching from one of the Gospels. They don't leave the people there. They're always bringing them to Christ. Yes. And that's where they're going to deposit them so that they can have that assurance outside themselves, that assurance in Christ finished work yes that that everything has been accomplished right. that they are secure in Christ that their sins are forgiven and then they can have that comfort that peace and knowing that in Christ everything that God desires for them has been done right on. I would say I mean just to bring up a couple other differences that maybe I mean caused uh, our reformed brothers to question is typically and certainly not always there's a lot of variation here but typically the form of worship that you'll find in a Lutheran church uh, historically uh, as compared to the form of worship that you might find in a more Calvinistic church is going to look very different. I think oftentimes people, the first, and, the, and I don't think your listeners would, I think your listeners probably are people that are more interested in theology and probably have, are more exposed to this. But a lot of times when people first come to a Lutheran service, the way they describe it is, oh, this is kind of like Catholic light. Because a lot of our pastors wear vestments. I personally do not, but but a lot of pastors within the Lutheran tradition wear vestments, and there's there could be chanting, and there could be smells and bells, and there could be uh, and some old hymns that sound kind of hard to sing. The melody's not. I mean, you know, Lutherans are famous for singing funeral dirges and calling it joyful praise. You know, I mean, it, like you can get this sort of feel that feels like the closest thing people can relate to it is, oh, yeah. it's Catholic. Well, there is a reason for that. And, and, it, and it does go back to the very beginning of the Reformation, which is the goal of the early Lutherans, including Luther himself, was not to revolt, right. not to have a revolution. It was literally to reform. And so, right. so there was a desire to keep as much continuity in forms and practice as could be kept as long as, and this is, this is another difference, the, you know, what you mentioned earlier, I think jokingly, the regulative principle um, there was a different view in the Lutheran cir- cir- circles, which was if the scriptures don't expressly forbid mm-hmm. a practice, then we can in- engage in it in our worship services. So, Especially if it's in the service of the gospel. Yes, yes. if it's yes. in service of the gospel, if it's not expressly forbidden, then we're free to, to do it. Uh, whereas that's, that's not all, I mean, of course, I know there's differences within the reform world too, but uh, historically there's differences there as well, yeah. uh, where the regulative principle becomes more formational than than it certainly ever was for us yeah yeah and and, uh, you know there is a variety within the reform world Mm -hmm. jesse and i are very regulative principle people Mm -hmm. we joke about it because we are so regulative principle people yeah but I, i do think that at times um what the regulative principle becomes is an excuse to exclude stuff you don't like Right. And, sure, and yeah. you know, most most kind of lowercase r reform people out there, they don't even know what the regulative principle is. Yeah. But those who are sort of on the fringes of it, they think that what it means is, you know, you get the question like, well, you guys have light bulbs. There's no light bulbs in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, <laughs> I think that sometimes people who are so pro-regulative principle or so anti-normative principle, which is yeah. what we would call what you're describing, they tend to like... Well, what the Bible, what the Bible commands is the stuff I'm doing, and this other church over there that's doing something right. different. The Bible yeah. doesn't command that. 
without even actually asking that person. Yeah. Where, you know, where do you think the Bible teaches this? Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. or, you know, if I was to go to a Lutheran church, I would be really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And that, sure. that's part of the reason I don't go to a Lutheran church because <laughs> yeah. I don't want to yeah. cause a problem. Of course. I don't want to be yeah. a problem and I don't want my own devotion to Christ to be hindered by my own distractedness. Sure. But at the same time, when I go to another church, if I'm visiting another church, like when we come to Ocean Grove here and we go to church on Sunday, there are elements that if you ask the people who organize the service here, it's not really a church. It's a totally different thing going on. But yeah. if you ask them, they would probably, for most of the things they do, have some sort of positive biblical command that they think that they're following. Yes. And as a reform person, if all I do is go, well, my church is the true example of what regulative worship looks like. And yeah. never ask that question. Oh, right. Why Why does this person in this other church do things the way yeah. they do? Mm. Why is it that the Lutherans, some of them still wear vestments? Why is yes. it that they, they you know, sing, sing this particular hymn or they do this particular thing? Yeah. A lot of times we miss that. Or the that. service is structured the way it yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I, think, I think you're right. Like th- mm. that's, a, that's a major difference. I would actually yeah. say I, would, I think that's probably the chief difference yeah, in terms of the actual distinctions between Reformed and Lutheran theology. And, you know, you shared a little bit with, with of your story with Mike Horton earlier. You know, talking about, well, figure out what you want to do with this particular doctrine, the, the way that mm-hmm. the person of Christ relates to how we express ourselves in worship. Yes. Like, that's a that's a regulative versus normative question. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we have to recognize this is a distinction within the family of God mm-hmm. that we have mm-hmm. to embrace. But I, I think, you know, there's a lot we could learn about freedom in worship, if I could say yes. it that way, mm-hmm. yeah. that I think your tradition really embodies in asking that question. And the other thing that you said that just, it, it really kind of, maybe this is like a blog post for me later, but we, I don't think regulative people often ask the question, how does this service the gospel of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ? Right. Where in the Lutheran tradition, because you're not just looking for a command that comes out of the scripture to do mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. to do that, you're looking at what's the best way for us to structure our worship service in order to bring the gospel to the people. Yes. That's not a question that I think reform people ask as often as they should. I think they ask mm-hmm. it, I think we ask it, but we are sometimes maybe more it's just the framing on, is different. Yeah. 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 I mean it goes all the way down to the nitty gritty of the architecture of the church, right. at least historically. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean even the even the church was structured in such a right. way right. apart from the worship. No matter how uncomfortable the seating arrangement yes, is. Right. I mean yeah. you ever been in these historic churches that are shaped like a cross? Oh, yes. When yes. you see it from the yes. sky you're like, oh man, that's beautiful. Right. It means so much and then you go in there and you're like I can't see or hear anything. <laughs> but it's serving the gospel. Yes, right? exactly. But, but that, that's a great point because some of those things are what people will see as like the outward manifestations. And sometimes they'll stop and they won't ask themselves, how is this connected? Why are these things being? It's not just yeah. of sheer rote tradition or some sense mm-hmm. of formalism. Although the vestments are fire. I can totally get down <laughs> I'm really good looking. Yeah. Um, but this idea of everything, I think, being tethered to the service of the gospel. Yeah. That you're never far from that in, in mind or in heart or in deed. Yeah. And I think that that is something that in reform circles we sometimes get disconnected from. We get so caught up in our ideas and yeah. Yeah. our theology yeah. and our rubrics yeah. that sometimes we don't stop to think, what are we really after here? What is the end? Yeah. yeah. And while, while we're on this topic, we talked about this before we hit record, <laughs> but uh, while we're on the topic of the service, I think one of the things that does set us apart is uh, that at least in our circles, typically the sermon does not hold the central place that it might in yeah. some Reformed worship services. So for us, really, at least historically, it's the reading of the gospel 
and it's the sacrament of the altar that are the two high points of, of yes. the service and everything flows from that so everything from what we call the intro it the opening psalm to the hymns that are sung to the other two readings everything is in the service of it's connected to that reading of the gospel Mm-hmm. And which is sometimes why everybody stands up for the reading of the gospel or right. the gospel is brought into the middle of the people and there it's read. And then the sermon most of the time is based on that gospel. So it's, it's either flowing toward that gospel reading or flowing from that gospel reading. And the second part of the service, the highlight is, is the sacrament of the altar. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why typically our sermons are, are shorter. Uh, they're not always the best, <laughs> but, yeah. but, the, but they yeah, are we shorter. Can, we, we have plenty of criticism we have, of our, of our believe, yeah. believe we, me. We could do several episodes of us criticizing <laughs> yes. our, uh, our own circles. Mm-hmm. Plenty of that, because uh, we have plenty of problems. Mm-hmm. But uh, since the topic of the day is the topic of the day, we'll stick with that. But that is one of the differences. So a, yeah. a typical Lutheran sermon is no longer than, probably no longer than 20 minutes. I'd say average 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. Uh, usually based upon the gospel reading or one of the other assigned readings of the day. Sometimes there's a series that's that's preached, but uh, yeah. it's 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 never understood as really at least theologically it's never understood as a central part of the yeah. of the service. Yeah, yeah. there's I, I do think. Um, well, I forgot what I was going to say. So you're just going to have to keep on moving. I'm sure it'll come back at some point. Well, maybe I can jog you. I had, a, I had something really phenomenal. Really profound. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Yes. Uh, you know, it's, I think that's actually one of those things that, that sort of order of service you just described. That's oh, that's what I was going to say. It, it wouldn't be uncommon for people to describe uh, the Lutheran a Lutheran service in two services. Like, yeah. there's the service of the Word. There's the service of the of the sacrament. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and this is this goes back to early in the church's roots, where the church uh, there was there seemed to be two distinct services. Right. You know, there's disagreement about you know how that applies today, but you get the point. So it would that is a difference in structure than you wouldn't find always in um, uh, other traditions. Right. Yeah, and I think that order of service you just described and this sort of distinction that happens that's actually what most informed people who come to a Lutheran service would say feels like Roman Catholicism. Yes. yes right. Yes, right. And, and before our listeners all throw their, throw their phones at the wall or start <laughs> writing angry emails, I I've mentioned this on the show for a very, very brief time when I was in seminary in Minneapolis, I had actually decided to convert to Roman Catholicism. And that was driven by a, uh, a conviction that there was more Bible happening in mm. Roman Catholic services. In because the actual all, services. Right, because, because they're although, reading the lecture. Although it's singing true, the psalmity. Exactly. Yes. Although it's true that, that in a Roman mm-hmm. Catholic service or a, a Lutheran service, which I think Lutheran homilies or sermons are longer than the, the typical Roman Catholic one, yes. that sermon is shorter. Yes. More Bible is being read right. out loud. Right. Yes. And if we're truly convinced that it's the Word of God that, that creates faith, the Holy Spirit uses yeah. to create faith in the individual. Yeah. That's the we truly the believe that, yeah. right? That that reading of the Scripture is part of the sermon. And if you right. were to take, you know, an, an average, um, you know, Missouri Synod or whatever conservative branch of the Lutheran Church, you take that the amount of Bible being read on a Sunday and compare that to your average, you know, uh, Evangelical Baptist Church that has a thirty-minute sermon, mm-hmm. you're going to get way more Scripture on average in the Lutheran context, or even in the Roman Catholic context. It's true, yeah. Than you yeah, wouldn't. Yeah. So, so that's another thing. Is like we we major sometimes in diving in deep to the to the Scriptures, mm-hmm. but we sometimes don't get it that you also need to sort of read broadly, and mm. sometimes just reading the Scripture to somebody is enough to be a sermon. And, and mm. it, I mean, you will see. It wouldn't be uncommon to walk into a Lutheran service. 
and have as sort of, let's say, the Old Testament reading, like a chapter and a half, like 50 verses. Yeah. Right. And that's just the Old Testament reading. And the person up there is reading all 50 verses, and then they go on to the epistle reading, which is 25 verses, and yeah. then you've got the gospel reading, which is another 25 verses. It wouldn't be uncommon to hear, it, do, it, it doesn't happen all the time, or even all, you know, um, frequently, but it does happen. And there is sort of a lack of, fear of that there's a there, people were just fine with that like right. let the word be read let people hear it yes let, let god do his work because that's where he promises to create faith yeah right because you know. in other churches people just be passing out there's like aren't we supposed to be done with this yet to move yeah. on to the next thing there, there's, so. there's plenty of our people that are asleep there's no <laughs> doubt about that. Uh. but but this idea that all of that is baked in that there's these yeah. lovely and loving boundaries around the way in which things are constructed physically and literally yes and then also in the order of affairs so that again you're never far away from the center of where you want to yeah. be yeah i would say it, even to uh, neurotically so it could mm. be the case that like there's such a uh, an attention to detail that might seem for some other people like man this seems like it's going overboard yeah um but but there is a reason for it and it's theological it's not just because it's a tradition you know there's a thought through reason for all of the elements in the the, the elements of the service right yeah yeah that's one of those things that i see reform people sometimes ignorantly say is when, when they're talking about luther's reform and they sort of recognize that there are some elements that it seems yeah. like luther left more or less in like in place right. yes they, they kind of characterize it as like, well, he just never got to that. Right. Yes. And the reality is if you've read Luther when he's talking about this, there's stuff he didn't talk about. There's stuff that yeah. didn't confront him. He was a, a we talked about this earlier. Mm -hmm. He was a, an occasional uh, writer. He wrote mm -hmm. to specific things. But there's very little in the tradition that he took from Roman Catholicism without at least criticizing it and thinking about it. Yes. Mm -hmm. The yep. stuff that he retained, he did so because he thought that's what the Bible taught. Right. Yes. It's yes. not as though, well, I think that the Bible doesn't teach this, but just because it's easier, I'm not going to deal with it. Yeah, that, that was not that's what you're saying. That's not what So when I hear, hear reform folks <laughs> no. say things, and you know what, like I, I get this as a as a Presbyterian, Paedobaptist, I get this from Baptists. Yeah. Well, yeah, you just you just never reformed enough. That's why you still mm -hmm. baptize babies. Yeah. Well, no, no, like that's that's not true and that's slander. Whether it's yeah. of a, a bat, I keep on pointing at Jesse. Yeah, <laughs> Jesse has never said that to me. Yeah, uh, whether it's a Baptist saying that to a Presbyterian, or I think more commonly a Presbyterian saying that about right. a Lutheran. Yes. It's it's not true. It's not accurate. So even though we have different understandings of what makes an element or an aspect of worship a biblical, mm -hmm. biblically sanctioned worship. We have disagreement about how we determine that. Mm -hmm. I don't know any Lutherans that be like, well, we just did this because we like it and it's it's fun yeah. or, it, you yeah. know, it, it, it makes our service flow better. It, it It's servicing the theological point of bringing the gospel, as you said earlier. Yeah. 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 In fact, some of the things that we maintain that we brought with us from Catholicism, it's not as if we just never really thought them through. I mean, we explicitly want these because they are one of the purest expressions of what the gospel actually is. For instance, the baptism of infants. Right. I mean, here you have, you have a child that can obviously not contribute anything to his or her salvation. They're completely passive. So a perfect recipient for the work of God. I mean, God, God loves to work with that which cannot do anything. Right. He loves to kind of create and continue to work ex nihilo. So here we have a child 
that can't do anything except receive, and that's a perfect recipient for what God does in baptism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So infant baptism for us is not something that we just kind of brought over with us from Roman Catholicism without yeah. really thinking it through. Just we didn't, yeah. we didn't want to fight that battle. No, I mean, this is like perfect. In fact, I would say that everyone who's baptized is an infant, no matter yeah. if they're mm-hmm. five or yeah. 50 years old. They're, they're, they're one who completely receives what God has to give. Right. Yeah. Uh, maybe another difference that might be good to highlight, too, um, or just something that to say, like, my Reformed brethren, this is something that you might not know, but you should know. Um, oftentimes, there is a criticism lobbed at Lutherans that uh, we don't follow Luther. Um, and Lutherans, or that we don't follow Luther closely enough about some yeah. writing of his or something like that, to which Lutherans can and should say, you are correct. We appreciate and love much of what Luther's written, and I think his personality and his theological sort of emphasis uh, or emphases are all over the tradition of Lutheranism. But right. we do have a confession. And that confession has some of Luther's writings, but the bulk of it is not written by Luther. It's right. written by Melanchthon. And it's, you know, we've got the small called articles and we've got, you know, various and then the, you know, as you mentioned earlier, the scholastics with the formula. They we subscribe to a confession. So yes, there's going to be plenty of times where Lutherans can come uh, come across something that Luther's written and say, nope, didn't got it, didn't didn't get it there. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, there's gonna be plenty of times where that happens uh, because what it means to be a Lutheran is that we subscribe to a confession, um, as much as we love, you know, and appreciate much yeah. of what Luther did. Yeah, and that's um, that might be a good place for us to kind of wrap up. Is we started this conversation talking about how our confessions have so much overlap in the, mm-hmm. the central things of what they're saying. And now we're ending this conversation. You might as well have just said exactly what Jesse right and I have been saying for the mm-hmm. last 240 episodes or whatever it is now, 790 episodes. <laughs> I don't even know. Same, um, same. Is that, you know, I constantly am saying to people, Calvin does not define Calvinism. Right. Right. Yes. Uh, right. John Knox yes. Devon does not define Presbyterianism. Yeah, we like well, them. Right. They we like, love them. And, yeah, and, yeah. and it, you know, to be fair, you're not going to find a lot that Calvin says that's dramatically different than what the Westminster Confession says. Sure. And even less in the continental tradition, in the mm-hmm. three forms of unity. But it's our confessional documents. And the mm-hmm. way that the Lutheran confessional documents came together is very different historically than the way that the, mm-hmm. the Reformed confessional documents came together. But yeah. that, that central idea of a confessional body of literature that is, is sanctioned and adopted by the church defining what it means to be a Lutheran in your case or a, a Presbyterian in my case or a Reformed Baptist in Jesse's case, that that is something that I think Protestantism lost for a long time, this idea yeah. of confessionalism. We can get into all the, I mean, we're in Ocean Grove, talk about revivalism. It's <laughs> right. an interesting topic yeah. on its own. Yes, but yeah. that sort of like Billy Graham evangelicalism yeah. where, where everything happens outside of the church and mm-hmm. then maybe, maybe funnels back into the church. Yes. That perspective has done a lot of damage to the church, especially in America. And this idea of confessionalism. I think it's body, probably maybe the most fundamentally American way yeah, of doing yeah. religion. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I think I think that's a great way for us to kind it of is. bring this down. Um, do you guys have any uh, special projects that you want to announce? I know you guys, yeah. uh, I know the Old Testament version of the Field Guide to the Bible, if I got that title right, is yeah. already yeah. out. It's I know already out. They're, they're working on the New Testament one soon, yep. um, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a big overview. And I listened to the Old Testament one. It'd be a great thing to sort of give to your, uh, your friend who just 
became a Christian and wants mm-hmm. to know what this Bible thing's all about. That's exactly uh, right. Any other projects or anything else you guys are working on you want to make sure you bring up? Yeah, so, uh, in fact, this coming Tuesday, I'm not sure when this episode is going to drop, but uh, on July 20th, my next book, The Christ Key, will will be released. It uh, basically takes the Old Testament and breaks it down into various themes as to how Christ is present there, how he's foreshadowed, how he's prophesied. So The Christ Key is dropping this coming Tuesday. So that's... Yeah. I'm writing my next book yeah. <laughs> now, but I'll, I'll talk about of it later. Anyway, that's right. Let me get my own little plug for that. So, so Chad, Chad is, you know, we spend this week up here. The It's a strange place, but the, the town is owned by a Christian The fact that they have asked two Lutherans to preach and it's teach to them to is, yeah, it's amazing. Because this town is so built on revivalism. It is. Did you think it was a prank call? No, 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 no. <laughs> well, I've been asked to do this. This is my third year doing this now, and they've been such good hosts, and they've yeah. been great to us. Uh, but yeah, historically, there would have not been much there in common at all. So but Chad, Chad has been teaching more or less the content of the Christ the Key, which yes. I is what I would surmise. And uh, I think it was Monday. Um, or, yeah, it must have been Monday. I was waiting in line to introduce myself to Chad because I wanted him to come on the podcast. And this woman cut in line in front of me. And I didn't hear everything she was saying. But, but I caught enough of it. And she said something like, I'm 71 years old. And I've never understood the Old Testament mm, before, but yeah. now it's opened up to me. Mm, that's yeah. that's what the book is about. And mm, I can tell yeah. you from my own experience, you know, you 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 mentioned earlier you were influenced by Beale, and so I, I'm influenced by Klein, and so there's a lot of overlap there. So the stuff you're saying is not radically new to me, but I can tell you from talking to my family who's seen it, I can tell you from just hearing people talk about it, you know, out in the street, people are talking about how great it is. This is a book that anyone who loves the old testament needs to pick up and right read. On. so we'll we'll give away a copy of that too We're, i'm doing my own Man, I'm, everybody gets a book yes. i'm like i'm like oprah here <laughs> you get a grace. book and you get a book yes. we don't mess around yeah we yes. don't mess around we don't mess around <laughs> books so yeah. eric what are you what are you working on anything specific uh you know it, well there is a book coming out but not until october 2022 we actually finished the manuscript quite a bit uh, a long time ago it's another part of our sort of commentary series um, so when that comes out, you know, we'll let you know. Maybe okay. we can have it be on the podcast again. Yeah, but, we'd love to have you. Yes. But it'll be a, be a little while until that comes out. But besides that, you know, I'm a pastor, and I'm, you know, still, um, you know, my, my duties at church are taking care of the sheep and feeding them and tending to them and that kind of thing. And then, uh, of course, just working at 1517. But nothing specific that I have to peddle to you, dear listener. <laughs> so no products for you. You there can you go, go get my our older book, a couple years old on the parables if you want. Scandalous yeah, Stories, which you're also getting. Yes. So, so yeah, how can people connect with you then online? What's the easiest way if they want to learn more, if they want to get the resources? They, you probably should say your names your podcast again so people can go out and search for those as well. Sure. Yeah, sure. I think Eric and I are both on all the social media networks. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, but if you want to find all our material, just go to 1517.org and uh, search our name, search topics. Everything is there. The, my my podcast with Dan Price, 40 Minutes in the Old Testament, is there, as well as the uh, the thousand other podcasts that yeah, we have. We, we, anything <laughs> you're interested in, in yeah. hey, we got a podcast. Uh, we got a podcast for yeah, that. So, and then yeah. Eric can tell you more about 30 Minutes. Yeah, 30 Minutes in the New Testament, same thing. You can find that on any podcast app and uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, Pastor Eric, E-R-I-C-K, the C is silent, um, you can find that on Twitter or Instagram. Right. So. Brothers, thank you for doing this. Really yeah, appreciate it. I thank think you for having at, us. You, thank at you. best, you've made a lot of maybe reformed people passable Lutherans. Like they, could, <laughs> they understand a little bit more. They can speak the language. And so I think that was part of our goal yeah. is just yeah, get people... Man 
basically to open up the attic door, step Excellent. in there for a little while, have a little bit of interaction, even if they feel like I, I just need to run away real quick. <laughs> but at the very least, we're so glad to have you just converse with us. Oh, thank uh, you, we, it's been we a joy. appreciate the yeah, teaching this week. Yeah. We love yeah. you guys. We'll do it again. We really should do it again. We Thanks for letting us kidnap. Next summer, yeah. when we're back, we'll do part two. There Sounds go. good. Very good. Jesse, this has been great. I'm so excited for these books that are coming out, for all the material 1517 is doing. Thank you so much again, as Jesse said, for joining us. And until next time, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. What if I'm fine?